You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Name, Milwaukee Bucks supporter at The Athletic Wisconsin. And joining me as always is my good friend and the founder of BrewHoop.com, Frank Madden. Frank, how you doing, buddy? I'm good. I was just uh, housing some Girl Scout cookies. Uh, shout out to my good friends, Vanessa and Eric, uh, big Bucks fans and uh, the parents of uh, two great young daughters, one of whom sells Girl Scout cookies. So Clutch. Shout out to shout out to them. Um, you know, I, I had to bite the bullet and uh, do my civic duty and support Girl Scouts, which of course had nothing to do with my need to crush Girl Scout cookies. You know, totally incidental. <laughs> um, so yeah, I accidentally bought like legitimately. I accidentally bought eight boxes of Thin Mints rather than four. Don't ask me. Mm. Honest mistake with the ordering system. I hit add order twice and it doubled it up. Um, so I actually brought thin mints with me uh on a work trip just to try to see if other people would help me eat them so that i don't just sit at home <laughs> in the dark just you know eating thin mints just pounding them one after the other so uh yeah so that's that's my girl scouts uh if any and if anybody needs to buy girl scouts just you know shoot me a, a message or email us at lockedonbox at gmail.com and i will happily send you the link to uh uh, Vanessa and Eric's daughter's uh, Girl Scout cookies page. I'm sure they would appreciate more business. Uh, and if you don't have anybody else, you can get it from. I got you guys. Um, so that's our live read. For, that's our live read for the day. Dang. Girl Scout cookies from my Frank friends. Frank a lot of value. Yeah. A lot of value to the podcast. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I'm not making any off that commission, by the way. This was a free ad read. <laughs> um, but anyway, yes. Uh, but yeah, and, you know, uh, I, I guess at some point we're going to talk about the Bucks winning a basketball game yesterday, but like we're now so bored with the Bucks sure. just kind of churning out wins against, turning out double-digit wins against, you know, mediocre teams that like this is now sort of the uh, the, the luxurious life we live as Bucks podcasters that we can kind of <laughs> talk about other things, not just Girl Scout cookies, but other things uh, beyond that. Because I know we wanted to hit on a couple things, and it's a few days before the next game as well, so we're we're probably feeling like we can tackle some of those those big picture topics yeah we're just kind of hanging out it's so weird to have a monday to like friday gap that's just unusual in yeah. an NBA schedule. you went and saw a movie tonight, yeah right? it was great uh i saw if beale street could talk and it was fantastic uh barry jenkins second film after moonlight um it, yeah Loved it. It was fantastic. I, I would say you should go see it. Um, you should also go see uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. That was what I incorrectly called the best movie of 2018 a few weeks back when I first saw it because I hadn't seen If Beale Street Could Talk yet. I got to think through all of that, but both very good movies. I would recommend both uh, very highly. So go out and check those out. That's Eric Talks Movies. Uh, JJ is going to be mad at us that we didn't invite him on the pod to give his well, this- best of 2018 list. This is this is like how we can tell if JJ is still listening to the podcast Ooh, every day. That's a great point. If, if he is, 
if he is, we will automatically get a tweet uh, tomorrow morning <laughs> saying, have me on the pod. Um, and probably at some point we, we can do that. Um, maybe that's like an all-star Ooh, break. That's not bad. Uh, thing. I, I need to catch it. I have not seen Spider-Verse uh, yet. Uh, I have seen a bunch of random movies. Um, since I'm a parent, I don't see as many movies in theaters as you might imagine. Um, so I've been kind of catching up on some stuff that's been getting into uh, streaming services. Yeah. HBO, yeah, exactly. Um, so I have some, I have some, some hashtag takes uh, on movies. Excellent. Stand, but, uh, but anyway, Bucks basketball. What, what uh, do we want to talk about? So we got a couple things to talk about. Uh, there's some Mike Conley rumors going around, so we're gonna talk a little bit about Mike Conley, the feasibility with the Bucks, all of that uh, coming up here in a little bit. But um, I, I started some things on Twitter today. It was an off day. Uh, Bucks were in practicing. I had an afternoon to myself, and I said, you know what? I'm really getting tired of seeing some of this stuff. Um, so I tweeted out something that I thought was pretty simple. Um, but there's there's this there's this notion going around that uh, if if the Bucks decided not to re-sign Chris Middleton, that Malcolm Malcolm Brogdon and Sterling Brown could replicate his production. Um, I've been asked this on podcasts before. I've been asked it on uh, mailbags that I've done at the Athletic Wisconsin. Like it's been in the comment section. Like I've gotten that question, uh, and you know, obviously that's born out of the fear of signing Chris Middleton to uh, a max type contract this off season. So, like, I get it. It's, it's fear, like something to be afraid of. Okay, that's fine. Um, but I, I tweeted. If you are curious, the irony of Bucks fans complaining about Middleton not being a good enough number two option and then asking whether or not Brogdon and Brown could just replace his production is not lost on me. And I got to say, this is really special stuff. Um, this is, uh, I, I, I can't even imagine. So you, you're, ask, <laughs> you're asking me if two people could replicate the production of one person. So if you're asking me that, that would suggest to me that the one person is very good. That the one person um, would be better than, you know, either of those two components that go into trying to replicate him. So going through that logic, I, I found myself thinking, Bucks fans are unsure if Chris Middleton is a number two option. And that's the the fear is that he's not a, a good enough number two, quote unquote. And yet the question was asked to me, if two guys could replicate that guy that you don't believe is good enough to be a number two. So how did you get rid of the question of, is that person good enough to be a number two? Do the bucks have a good enough number two when you're trying to replace the guy that you say isn't good enough to be a number two with two people? Um, it, it's just a, a wonderful, uh, just a, a wonderful mental puzzle that I can't seem to put together other than thinking, you know what? We just don't have enough pieces here. This isn't a puzzle. This is incoherent, illogical ramblings of fans that are terrified of signing Chris Middleton to his next contract. Are are you saying that are you are you saying that um, Malcolm Brogdon and Sterling Brown couldn't like um, 
you know, you know, like when little kids try to impersonate an adult by like one of them sits on the shoulders of the other one and they wear a big trench coat and yes. you know, then they're taller. Um, that seems like kind of the idea here. <laughs> yeah, I think I, th- I think that's <laughs> the goal. In my head, that's sort of the way I was picturing it. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I would start with this. I, I have more, but all. you go ahead. Sorry. Okay. I have more, yeah, I mean, I would say I would say I, I would say in general, and and obviously, like we're not everybody who doesn't want to sign Middleton thinks that Sterling Brown and Malcolm Brogdon can just like move up a spot and replicate, you know, Brogdon or whoever replicating what Middleton does. Um, so like we're obviously kind of conflating like a lot of people with different anti Middleton takes to some extent, but the fundamental issue, which we talk about all the time. And so it's like, I don't, you know, I don't even know if it's even worth saying again, because you know, to some extent, I mean, a lot of these, I mean, these are generally like your followers and our followers. It's not like these are just, you know, these are people who are smart enough to follow us, which obviously means yeah. that you're obviously a very smart fan. Shout out to of you course. guys. Um, but obviously there is a lot of, as you said, there's a lot of anxiety about overpaying Chris Middleton. And I think part of that is rooted in um, when the Bucks have been like mediocre, they have signed some like decent to good players to huge contracts and then oh crap we're still mediocre because we didn't you know we don't have a star player and giving that guy a bunch of money didn't change anything and so you know we're paying michael red 90 million dollars to be you know a fringe all-star and the bucks still aren't very good or we're paying mo williams 52 million dollars and you know he's not a good enough number two or number three or whatever he was on on those teams um so i think there's probably like a lot of this kind of is like a historical artifact of the bucks signing you know decent to good players to big contracts for teams that really didn't have there was no Giannis, right like pre Giannis bucks and inevitably being disappointed that like oh yeah we're paying a guy a huge amount of money but like he's just not good enough by himself to carry this team to real contention and so i think there's obviously sort of that like reflex and it's 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 instructive i mean as a fan i think it's good to say well wait a minute you know you go into a summer and you're thinking about your options the first question is like well is that good value especially when you've been basically Mm -hmm. spoiled with chris middleton getting a really attractive and very good value underpaid for three years yeah he's been underpaid for last few really underpaid his entire career. Um, so the first question is always like, well, geez, am I willing to pay two X or more for the same Chris Middleton as he, you know, hits his late twenties into his early thirties. Totally fair to question that. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think, I think when you think about like the hierarchy of like, should you sign a guy? Um, they're really important factors that maybe are different now than they have been in the past for the Bucks, given where they are contending wise. And part of it is on a fundamental level, the, the most fundamental question is, is this a really good basketball player who is going to help you win games? That is like the first thing you always ask because like yep. with Jabari Parker, the answer was no, <laughs> you know, nope. I mean, he didn't pass that kind of very first hurdle. Like there was no, like we had no evidence of him really being additive to winning basketball games, even though he had a lot of, you know, basketball talent quote unquote what you know however you want to interpret that with middleton i would hope that everyone agrees that he is talented he is additive to winning 
all the numbers, whether you look at advanced metrics, I mean, historically have said he is a guy who is helping you absolutely win basketball games. Um, and again, as we've pointed out, he may not, Eric Bledsoe may be a more valuable player this year, might have been more valuable for long stretches last year, but Chris's production is very strong. As you pointed out the other day, he's actually scoring and assisting and rebounding at a higher rate per minute this year than last year, but he's playing five fewer minutes, yep. which kind of masks that fact. It looks like his scoring is down, but per yep. minute, it's actually up. Part of that is pace, by the way. Like if you look at his per 100, um, it is slightly down, but either way, um, you know, whatever struggles he's having shooting wise, he's still not far off efficiency wise for me was last year. And again, I'm not saying he's had a great start to the year, but, um, you know, he, he's still very good. Um, despite not having a great start, he puts up numbers that other people don't. Right. And so I think, so I think like fundamentally though, it's like the, is this player good and added to winning first question, right? Do you want this guy in your basketball team? Easily, that's an, you know, obviously with a potential $25, $30 million player. Yeah, you'd hope that the answer would be yes. Um, are they like a potential high-level player? Again, this is where it becomes a little murky because some people just don't view Chris. And, and again, he's a former second-round pick. He's not super athletic. He's not a show, flashy highlight real guy. So he's probably going to be generally, I would say, tend to be a more underrated because those sort of traits lead you to be a little yep. underrated by casual fans. Um, and then... Another question is like, you know, as you think about deals and what are you willing to pay, is the guy tradable, quote unquote tradable, or an asset, probably a better way to say it, because kind of everybody's tradable in the right scenario. Um, But is that person an asset? Like, yeah, I'm not worried that you could trade, that you couldn't trade Chris Middleton for John Wall or some horrible contract, right? Like, yeah, he's he's easily tradable there, but is he an asset that could bring you back value? Certainly fair to ask that question, especially as he ages. I think he becomes much closer to a neutral asset for sure if he gets $30 million a year. Um, but not like no one will ever want to touch this guy. Like it's it's not like I, I don't view it to be that bad. And then the last sort of test that I would kind of put Middleton slash any other free agent through is what is sort of the opportunity cost of doing this, right? Like if you are signing a guy and by doing that, you now cannot go back and go out and sign, you know, a comparable player or a better player in free agency, or you cannot now retain some key guy in your roster because you don't have enough, you know, money under the tax or whatever it might be. Right. That's kind of the other key part of this. And it's the part that like we kind of, I think ultimately kind of, kind of lead back to, because again, if you don't sign Chris Middleton and you sign, you know, let's just say you, you keep these other guys at reasonable numbers. Um, you know, there's no real avenue for upgrade. I mean, the whole point, as you kind of were <laughs> making a joke about, like, if the whole point is to get a better player than Chris Middleton, you can't just not sign Chris Middleton and sign a better player unless you also want to get rid of other <laughs> useful players on the roster, in which case then it becomes kind of tricky because, okay, like I'm, if you. I got to say, of- I'm. I'm mad at myself right now for letting us get 13 minutes into this conversation before doing this. Okay, I go ahead. want to say this very clearly. If you don't want to sign Chris Middleton, you don't automatically get $30 million to spend. For everyone in the back, 
if you don't sign Chris Middleton, you don't just get $30 million to spend in free agency. These are not the Gary Wolfel, Greg Monroe rules. Like, that's not <laughs> how this works. Like, there's actual cap rules, and it works in a certain way where if he's your player, you're allowed to go over a certain amount of money. If you want max cap space, again, if you want max cap space this summer, Middleton will opt out. He will become an unrestricted free agent. And then you will have to renounce Eric Bledsoe. That will give you roughly $30 million or so in cap space. Is there another move I, I'm missing in there, Frank? You're, here, you're better at the cap. Here, here's the quick math. So Bledsoe has a big cap hold um, because he currently makes more than Bledsoe, or it's more than Middleton. So basically their cap holds, which are the numbers that go on your cap while they're free agents in order to retain their bird rights. So this lets you go over the cap to resign them. So middle, they're both 1.5 times their salary this year. So for Middleton, he makes $13 million this year. His cap hold is 19.5. Bledsoe is at 15. His cap hold is 22.5. Um, so basically, the kind of bottom line of, of all that is that if you say, I want to keep, you know, I want to keep Eric Bledsoe, he's probably has a cap hold bigger than what he'll actually sign for. So, you know, mm-hmm. it, it's a little bit different math because Middleton presumably is going to sign for more than 19.5. So you actually won't, would like want to delay the signing just to keep your cap number lower and have more flexibility and things like that. But um, the bottom line is if I, if I take Chris Middleton's cap hold off, right. And I basically say, all right, Chris, you're gone. I want to use cap space. I want to go and sign somebody else, but I want to keep Bledsoe. I want to keep Malcolm Brogdon. He has a low cap hold. Now that he's at starter pitcher, I think it's about three million. So I'm I'm kind of keeping that cap hold. I'm keeping my first round pick cap hold because I can't trade that now anyway. Um, I could trade it on draft night, but let's just assume that number's there. I'm keeping Ilya Sova on board because I don't think anybody's gonna want to take his contract for nothing. I've got Tony Snell, all those guys, um, and I've got like a bunch of cheap guys like Sterling Brown, Connaughton, um, Christian Wood, and I'm assuming George Hill's bought out for a million dollars because without this, no, you can't really do much of anything. Yep. Um, if I do that. If I have Bledsoe at his $22.5 million cap hold, um, I have, uh, let's see, basically $18 million without Chris Middleton. So I have $18 million in cap space to go replace Chris Middleton. If anybody can go find me, Chris One Middleton. One more time. One more time. Eight, eight, how, eight, how, many, million. how many million? $18 million. Eight, $18 million, yeah. So okay. if, anybody, if anybody can replace Chris Middleton for $18 million, you know, we'd love to know who it is. You know, maybe there's some guy out there that, will blossom into a Chris Middleton type player. I don't know, but if 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 that guy was for sure going to be a Chris Middleton type player, he's going to make more than $18 million. Um, so mm-hmm. yeah, you'd have $18 million. Now, if you got rid of Bledsoe, you'd have more. Like if you say, like what, what, do you, what, what would be a, a reasonable number to throw Bledsoe in? Let's just say you do sign Bledsoe on July 1, you lock him up. What do you think a starting salary, at least for arguments purposes, would be? I, I'm assuming it's less than twenty two point five, but like what do you what do you want to put in here just for a little illustrations purposes? Uh let's go like nineteen, twenty, okay. somewhere in there. I'll put nineteen down. So if you put Bledsoe down at nineteen, that gives you three more million basically. That takes you up to a little over twenty one million. So basically you'd say, I'm better off just giving Bledsoe, signing Bledsoe, and then having more cap space because Bledsoe is actually his cap number, his hold was bigger than his the, the starting salary you gave me. So, okay, now I have twenty one million, right? So now it's like, all right, go go replace you know him him with with that amount of money. Um, that that is another option. Um, another wrinkle to this is 
So if the Bucks just basically keep all their cap holds and re-sign all their guys, then they may actually be better suited to offering Brook Lopez more. It's it's kind of a back, seems kind of backwards. But if the Bucks basically keep stay above the cap and maintain their mid-level exception, the normal mid-level exception, they'll have like nine million or so, which they could use on Lopez. They could also use cap space to sign Brook Lopez, but we're obviously assuming you're trying to use that for other guys because um, you created holes in your roster. Um, but if they just operate above the cap, they could give Lopez like $9 million. Whereas if they tried to basically use all that cap space to sign a Middleton replacement, for instance, and they operated under the cap, that means that they would have to renounce their mid-level exception and they would get what's known as the room mid-level exception, which would probably be like, I think maybe like five or $6 million this year, max. Um, so the irony is that Using having more cap space could actually, in a weird way, make it harder to keep Brook Lopez. So it's kind of complicated in a lot of different scenarios, but just be aware of that due to kind of this like quirk of how the cap and these exceptions work, that it may actually be easier to retain Brook Lopez. And again, you're assuming that he would be willing to come back for that mid-level number, which you could argue is really underpaying him. But, you know, again... It, it becomes a lot harder if you have to sign in with cap space. Um, so anyway, just just something to note. And and yeah, if you wanted to have like a max salary slot, um, renounce Bledsoe, you know, get rid of Bledsoe as well, uh, then you'd have really significant cap space. I mean, then you'd have 40 million in cap space in that scenario. But now you have two, you know, you're basically your second and third best players are no longer on your team. So even if you can go give Kemba Walker, you know, 32 million a year to be your starting point guard. Oof. You know, you just traded Eric Bledsoe and Chris Middleton for Kemba Walker and maybe some other small, you know, piece to go with it. And it's like, is that, I mean, I don't, I don't think you're going to be better for that mm. as much as I like Kemba, as much as you can argue, he could be a more valuable playoff guy than, than Bledsoe, you know, there are trade-offs here. And so unfortunately, like, again, you talk about opportunity cost. What can I do with this money? Otherwise um, totally get it. Don't want to just, you know, set all the money on fire and, you know, give Chris Middleton every last dime you can give him if you don't have to. Um, but the options to replace him, get a comparable player, that's really hard. I mean, you only need to look at every goddamn year of free agency that the Bucks have ever gone through and, <laughs> you know, try to find like who have been good, who have been good free agent signings, Brooke Lopez, Quite possibly mm-hmm. the best free agent signing the Bucks have ever had, which was kind of a you know quirk of sort of like the NBA thinking that he was no longer relevant, <laughs> even though he really was to the Bucks. Yeah. Um, Mike Dunleavy Jr. I think was what two years six million or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, yeah, that Mo Williams was a restricted free agent. I think got like two for four or five million or something like that when he after his rookie year in Utah. As much as Mo, as much as yeah, Mo was, was not ultimately worth his contract, that was a great you know, a great value as for, for what he was at the time. So, I mean, there've been these little gambles the Bucks have made that have really panned out. So if we want to play the game of like, just strike gold, signing guys to massively undervalued contracts, well, you should be doing that anyway, right? I mean, you have, you know, other means of potentially mm-hmm. doing that. But, um, you know, I don't think you can go into the off season with your plan being, I'm going to go replace Chris Middleton by finding you know, the next diamond in the rough, right? And look, good front offices have to do that. Good good front offices have to do that, but it's that's really hard to do. And odds are you're going to be worse because you can't do it because it's hard.
even if you do it, even if you find the next diamond in the rough, aren't we circling back to is the number two good yeah, enough? Right? Like that that like we're just circling back to that. Even if you find the diamond in the rough, you get all the way back there. Holy shit, is number two good enough? That's still the question. So it's just like there's just this circular logic that drives me crazy. But like your Frank is showing you all the doors right now. So first door, bring them all back, run it back. And you know, like I think if the if the team goes to the Eastern Conference Finals, Chris Middleton plays fine in the playoffs. Um Bledsoe's fine in the playoffs, like doesn't have a rosier meltdown like he did the other year. Like, yeah, like I, I think you probably could be okay with that. And, you know, I don't know if I don't know if your back's against the wall there, but, you know, I think it's kind of tough to go to win probably 55 plus games, go to the Eastern Conference Finals, and then be like, yeah, we didn't have quite enough. We're going to just let these other guys go. Like, I, I think that'd be pretty tough. So, door number one, bring everyone back. Door number two, don't bring Middleton back. Try to use $18 million in cap space to find someone that can replicate everything that Middleton did for you. Seems seems unlikely. Door number three, don't bring Middleton back. Don't bring Bledsoe back. Then try to use that max cap space to hunt someone down and find your guy but also you've lost two and three. So now you need four and five on your packing order to jump up to, to three and four and hopefully don't lose anything there. Um, you know, don't bring anyone back. You, you could do that. Totally start over. Doesn't to me, doesn't make a lot of sense. And like, like I don't, I don't want to make it seem like I don't understand how uncomfortable it is. Like, I get it. We've talked about, we've talked about Middleton where he's ranked. I think before the season, we put him at 31. I don't know how many podcasts I can say this in uh, the 31 or 32 or 33 or something like that. That's where we put him. And you know, if you're going to pay $30 million a year or whatever it's going to be for Chris, like that's uncomfortable. I get it. Like I'm, I'm not trying to say that Chris Middleton is going to outperform a, a max type contract. Cause he's not like, it, it's just incredibly unlikely that he would. But if you're trying to figure out the way to get the most talent on a bucks roster, I mean, you're going to really have to do some convincing to tell me that just bringing everyone back. Isn't the best way to maximize the amount of talent you can surround Giannis with. And as I've said before, like everyone can talk about championships and is Middleton enough. I don't give a shit. If it was my job, the only thing that I care about is Giannis signing on that line for the Supermax and believing that his future is in Milwaukee. Because after he does that, I'll figure it out. Like, well, we've we've seen the Wizards uh, with John Wall. Like, his contract hadn't started yet. And, you know, they're probably not going to figure it out because John Wall isn't Giannis. Uh, but, you know, if you have the best player in the world or one of the best players in the world signed up for if you sign him that summer then that means you're going to have five or six years of them like hey i'll figure it out <laughs> i'll figure out how to make it work in the next couple of years as i enjoy Giannis in the middle of his prime like so to me i i get that it's scary like i i'm not i i i know i may come off uh 
somewhat demeaning and just like too sarcastic and just kind of just trying to poke holes in all this. Like, so like I do get it. Paying Chris Middleton that amount of money is a lot. I'm not trying to say it isn't. It's just, I don't, (laughs) I don't think people appreciate how difficult it's going to be if you just let him walk. If you just say, you know what? Chris Middleton isn't for us. We're can't do it. Not going to sign him. And we're just going to, we're going to find a way to replace that production. Like, I, the as as much as you do or don't like Chris Middleton, like there is a, a level of playmaking that he does, a level of shot creation that he does. Uh, there's a level of responsibility that he has. There's a level of defensive production that he has. That you know when it's rolled into a six foot eight package, becomes a pretty special player. And maybe not a flashy player, maybe not a top twenty player in the league, maybe a top tw- not a top twenty five player in the league. But that is really incredibly valuable. Like there are just not a ton of Chris Middletons out there. And again, even if you wanna, even if you wanna have a problem with me saying he's a top thirty-five player, fine. Say he's a top forty player, top forty-five, top fifty player. That means there's only that many players above him. <laughs> like it's not easy to find that guy. And just moving people up the pecking order, like it's just not gonna get it done. And uh, to me, uh, that's my main struggle is just, okay, you don't want to pay Chris Middleton. Fine. Tell me how you're going to keep the level of talent on the team the same or better going forward. And if your answer is, you know, the Bucks, uh, as the GM of the Bucks, I'm going to say we're going to have a down year after this season and we're going to wait for that next summer to have more cap room and go after more guys. And like, you know, if that's if that's how you want to try to attack it, uh, that's fine. It that's a move that I just don't think I I I as GM as acting GM could could stomach because the year before I get a chance to sign Giannis to a supermax, I'm going to tell Giannis, hey, we're not going to be as good as we were last year. Like that that to me sounds like incredibly risky stuff, and I don't know, like that. I understand it's really difficult to kind of like think through a vault, like through all this stuff and, you know, handle the idea that you're not going to get like not getting value out of a contract like hurts. I, I get it. Like you always want to get the most value. You want to underpay guys. You want to get these steals. And, you know, like sometimes once you get to the upper levels of, of any kind of basketball arena, like you just got to pay guys. It, it sucks. It's not fun, but you know, at some point you do have to pay guys and you have to commit to a vision, a core. And, you know, the Bucks very likely are going to be at, they're going to be tasked with that decision this offseason. Yeah, I mean, this is the reality of um, growing up kind of as a basketball team is, you know, you get good, then the guys that were cheap who, you know, gave you that window to kind of assemble all the talent by being cheap, then need contracts. And then you have to basically make decisions around, you know, in some cases, I mean, the bucks, I think there is a way to sign essentially the, the, all, you know, the entire, bring back the entire roster um, and potentially either barely go into the tax or maybe even avoid the tax. Um, depending on if they can do something about like this, that Ilya Sova second year, 
predictably, you know, not looking so great? Um, or, <laughs> or, you know, is there something they can do around the Snell contract? Um, but there, I mean, there are much worse fates than, you know, having the number one team in the league right now and, you know, having anxiety over, you know, having to really pay guys because they're good. You know, I mean, that's really kind of, it's, it's, <laughs> it's the, the NBA's first world problem. And, um, I think, Oh, pity us. We found all these great players. God, what a, yeah. what a tragedy that is upon yeah. us. I mean, yeah. and then that's the thing too. I mean, it's like, you know, if you're, I mean, Bucks fans should know like free agency is, that's not where you build the core of the team, right? That's where you, I think, as we've seen, like the best examples of good free agent signings have been like the value signings for complimentary guys, right? Um, Brooke, Brooke Lopez yeah. being kind of the best example. Um, but not like the, you're not getting your number two guy. And if you are, um, you know, I mean, look at it. Guys who become free, unrestricted free agents that you can actually go after, they tend to be in their late 20s because they were probably, you know, they did their rookie contracts and then they got four or five year big contracts for their first kind of big paydays. And then now yeah. they're hitting unrestricted free agency. So they're generally going to be, you know, in their kind of late 20 type range, like Bledsoe, Kemba. Chris, you know, Chris is probably on the younger side if, compared to a lot of these guys. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, you look at the guys who are available and it's like, you know, I'm looking at like the list of free agents this summer, right? Um, Kevin Durant, Kawhi Leonard, Kyrie Irving. Um, yeah. I mean, uh, if you could convince one of those guys to come here, um, although probably I'm in, to Kyrie I'm in on that plan. Would probably, yeah. Kyrie, listening to Kyrie Irving talk might not be worth it, even if it doesn't for the chance to win a championship. But, um, but then the list from here, right? Jimmy Butler. Nope. Does, does anybody want to pay Jimmy Butler $30 million to do what Jimmy Butler does, given he's even older than Chris? No. Nope. Um, Clay Thompson? Hey, I would take Clay Thompson over Chris Middleton. Yep. Is same. Clay Thompson taking Milwaukee over Golden State? Mm. Good luck. <laughs> even if you did open up a max slot. And again, then it's the same thing, right? Like, okay, how are you actually opening up a max slot for, for Clay Thompson? Because you're not getting him for $21 million a year. Um, nope. Let's see. You've got. Uh, DeMarcus Cousins. Nope. Um, Al Horford has a huge player option. He probably won't walk away. Kemba, Kemba Walker is, I think, one of the more interesting names just because, you know, you can kind of see the idea of it and the Hornets aren't that good, but I still think he resigns just for a ton of money. And then the Hornets are, you know, in a situation where they basically have a all-star who's not going to be able to carry a franchise making 30 some million dollars into their, into their, into their 30s. So that's, not great. He's um, he's one year older than Chris Middleton, yeah. and he has defensive concerns, and he loves the ball. Yeah, all things that don't sound great with Giannis Antetokounmpo. Well, and it doesn't even it, see again. It doesn't even really matter because the scenario of getting Kemba Walker inevitably means that you lose two of your kind of top three compliments, right? <laughs> yeah, so I suppose. Yeah, he can have as much of the ball as he right. wants. Right. I mean, you're not. You're, yeah. Well, well, that's not the angle I was going to take, but. Um, but um, you know other other guys. Tobias Harris. Tobias Harris is actually a really interesting guy. Somebody somebody was asking me about like, would you rather pay Harris or Chris? I think that's a really interesting comparison because Tobias is like I think a year younger. Um, I think physically has better physical tools than Chris. Um, is not a maker like Chris is. Um, is I don't I honestly don't know enough about Tobias's defense. I don't think he's I don't think he's a bad defender by any stretch. Um, maybe he's comparable to Chris defensively. Maybe that's being charitable to Tobias. I don't know. Something on that order. Um, I think part of the, I think fit wise, Tobias is like a three, four 
whereas Chris is a three who can play some two if needed as well, which is probably more appealing um, given you have Giannis at the four. Um, so, you know, fit-wise, maybe a little less interesting, but you can definitely make a case that Tobias is, you know, a better guy to throw $30 million at just maybe based on his age and athleticism than Chris. Like, okay, I could buy that. I'm okay with But, that. Yeah. you know, again, like, is Tobias Harris going to... Is the number two good enough, Frank? Yeah, I mean, it's the same. we're going to be in the same, probably the same you know, same discussion. Um, and, and also like, yep. is Tobias Harris coming here? Like, I don't think that's like a, I don't think that's like the game plan, you know, per se. Um, and then you kind of go down the list and like, I'm seeing Mark Gasol, Goran Dragic, Harrison Barnes. <laughs> Imagine if you replace Harris, uh, Chris Middleton, Harrison Barnes. Um, you know, yeah, you're, you're well, but you're Frank, number, you're number not, two, you're number two ain't Harrison good enough. It's Harrison Barnes and Malcolm Brogdon and Sterling Brown. Like, is that better than Chris Middleton? Because for some reason in this comparison, you don't get to say that Chris Middleton also gets Malcolm Brogdon and Sterling Brown below him. But whatever. Do those three add up to more than Chris Middleton? Ask that question, Frank. You're not asking the question. You're not you're, you're open gonna, to these you, you need a really big trench coat to fit Harrison Barnes, Malcolm Brogdon, and Tony Brown all, all stacked <laughs> on top of each other. I don't know. I think we've, be, I think we've beaten this to death. I, I mean, again, I, there's no easy... It's not to say this is like an easy answer per se, because just writing Chris Blank Jack is not some like I don't want to call it a no-brainer, yes. but it's more like you just don't have a lot of other options, and it doesn't mean it's more that, of a backed into a corner or backed into a corner brainer, yeah. Um, and yeah. and I guess you know I get that people don't want to be held hostage, um, but you know. Well, oh, one body. thing I will say as you were talking as you were talking before, you had mentioned like you know the idea that in the past like the Bucks have kind of been in this situation where, you know, you've been backed into a corner and like, well, you know, you can't lose this guy. So you got to sign him. And, you know, uh, I had my uh, weekly big show. Uh, I stopped by the big show on one Oh five, seven fan. And that was one thing that, you know, my good friend, Steve Sparky Pfeiffer kept saying was like, you know, like this is just the Michael red situation all over again. Like you're, you've gotten into a spot where like, you can't let this guy go. So you got to pay him and, ultimately you regret paying them. And I said, you know, like, I don't think that's the, I don't think that's the worst analogy, but there's one key thing that is different in all of this. Like Middleton's not your best player. Yeah. He's your, he's your second best player. Like if Michael red had, uh, I'm trying to, the star. Oh, if Michael red takes the contract that the Cleveland Cavaliers were ready to give him, yeah. And played alongside LeBron James. Do, do Cavs fans feel terrible about that? Probably not. I bet you they're like, okay, yeah, this guy can shoot some threes, spread the floor for LeBron. Like this probably works. And that's the situation the Bucks are in. Not, well, Chris Middleton's all 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 poor Milwaukee can get. No, you have you have the if for lack of a better term, you have the fucking man right now. Like you have that guy. Yeah. And Middleton's below him. So like that that is one thing that you know I kind of object to when it's like oh they're really backed into a corner well they're backed into a corner and their second best guy not not their first best guy right like and their best guy is is like uh, above any talent the Bucks have had since I've been alive right and the whole like you had to bring back Middleton and that same summer I mean they signed Bobby Simmons and um, Dan yeah. God's reach for you yeah. know buttloads of money um, I mean the whole argument there was well you. Uh, Milwaukee's desperate to make the playoffs and they don't want to rebuild. Right. Um, so the, the like either or is just like completely different. It is, I mean, the, the, you know, door number one for the Bucks right now is run it back, 
and you have Giannis. So you basically always have a chance in the East. And again, against the Warriors is currently constructed. Yeah. Yeah. No, no team is going to have an easy chance. I mean, no, no team has anything, but really maybe like a puncher's chance against the Warriors in a fight in a prospective finals matchup. Mm -hmm. And the Bucks would not be different in that regard. Um, but look, if if the argument is like, well, we wouldn't be favored in the finals, but yeah. we might have a chance. I mean, that is so so. You know, compare that to well, we're gonna consciously downgrade and hope that Giannis isn't pissed off about it because if he leaves the next or if he doesn't take the Mac, the Super Max next summer, we're just hopelessly screwed and back at square one. I mean, the the door number one versus door number two there is totally different than resign you know michael red and try to bring in some other guys to try to be a competitive team that maybe there's some scenario where they can get home court in a first round playoff series or you don't resign him and you basically go into a rebuild right i mean those are yeah yeah like the the latter sounds better like rebuilding sounds better (laughs) than you know having this like super low ceiling team with all these high-paid players but it's a totally different you know, it's a totally different matrix of decisions yep. when you are actually, you know, competitive to win a conference championship. And, you know, maybe there's some scenario where, where you could actually win a championship. I mean, the whole point, the whole point of everything is that you give yourself chances to win championships. And mm-hmm. if you don't have a, if you don't have a different way of, getting talented enough to compete for that championship then take the path that allows you to have that talent right right right. i mean there's no other path than take the one that gives you that chance right and it's uncomfortable because we have i mean the bucks are in a different it is win now time it is you know and you don't want to you don't want to mistake win now for you know throw you know throw money at overpriced guys who don't help you you don't want to you know trade every last pick you have for marginal guys who help you maybe for two months but probably don't really make a difference right like it it is not mortgage every possible future asset or don't look past this year it's not that right that's not what we're saying um you have to be thinking about how you are competitive next year, the year after, the year after. But obviously, you know, we're not talking about trading a lottery pick to get, you know, two months of Chris Middleton. We're talking about just putting a lot of money in his pocket for the next few years and hoping that he continues to play at a high level, which, you know, they're different kinds of bets. So yeah, it's, it's, um, it's just a different world. And um, I think people look at, I mean, you bring, you bring up the Cavs and I think people look back at, especially like the version one LeBron Cavs and say, well, you don't do that. Like, you, you know, the bucks, you got to be careful. You don't do that where you just like lock into this subpar supporting cast and, you know, mortgage the future, whatever, um, to try to impress LeBron. But I mean, look, like, I mean, I'm, I don't know. I don't have an encyclopedic knowledge of those, the rosters that those Cavs teams had. Um, but they won, they won 60 games at some point. They made it to that finals against the Spurs. I mean, you know, look, like they clearly made mistakes, but 
you know, you know, it's like you got LeBron, you got to try to win games and they probably made some bad decisions about who to maybe take risks on. Um, but just to, just the idea of trying to actually, you know, get players in the short term to try to help LeBron compete, that at least makes sense. Whether, you know, Larry Hughes, uh, you know, Anton Jameson in a trade, Shaq, you know, whether, Middleton is better than both those right, guys. Right. So, so, you know, whether those guys are the, are, you know, were the right moves and they give up too many future assets doing kind of things. That's obviously a very fair to question, but, um, yep. but the idea that like, you know, somehow the Cavs should have traded guys for, I don't, I mean, I don't even know what kind of the counter argument is in, in a lot of ways, but that that's just kind of, that's the reality. Like you, you have a superstar and you have some other good players. You, try to keep those guys and it takes you down a path where you lock in and you know you put a ring on it well hopefully you you put a ring on it metaphorically <laughs> in terms of ah, you get well done but then you hopefully win a ring after you put a ring on it yes. so i'm just mixing metaphors all over the place but um but yeah nobody <laughs> nobody likes to nobody likes to uh commit to anything eric but yeah it's I'm, scary. An, I'm an old man i've got a great wife and a beautiful daughter you know, life's good when you actually commit to some things sometimes. And um, I don't know who, I don't know who, who Chris Middleton is in that family metaphor. Um, but, uh, you know, I think we'll see what happens this summer. But I think for the Bucks to just say like, no, nope, not interested, Chris, we're going to go our separate ways. Uh, they better have a damn good plan <laughs> yep. if, if, that's the, if that's the approach they take. All right. Um, we were going to talk Bucks Mavs, but I think we're going to push that to tomorrow because we went 45 minutes on this, which I don't think surprises anyone uh, that started this podcast uh, and heard a, what topic we were going to talk about. But that's okay. We'll talk. Uh, we'll talk. Do we have? Calmly. Do we have more than? Do we have more than five minutes to talk about that? I, I don't. I, that game was like at this point kind of a blur. Here's what I'll say: um, the Bucks were down at two at halftime. And, you know, as, as I tend to do uh, during halftime of a Bucks game, I go down to the media room and grab some snacks uh, and like a, another drink and not an alcoholic drink, uh, like, a, like a Coke or a coffee um, and I'll bullshit. And, you know, I was talking to uh, Jack Maloney from CBS Sports, I think. And, you know, he was like, oh, you know, Bucks are down two. You think they're going to win? And I was just like, yep. Yeah, uh, I mean they're going to. Like they're they're just they're better than this Mavericks team, and you know, like unless something weird happens, they're going to. And you know, like the Bucks didn't shoot particularly well from both the field or the three point line, but they're better than the Mavericks, and they won. And I think we saw some of the stuff play out, like Bledsoe on Doncic was interesting, and then uh, the Mavericks trying to cover Bledsoe also interesting that <laughs> they weren't, they weren't particularly good at that. Um, and I mean, Bledsoe didn't have the most efficient night eight of 16 on 20 for 21 points. But, uh, there was just times where again, like if you're going to put five, six, seven dudes on the floor, uh, one of them better be super quick. Um, because otherwise, but or otherwise Bledsoe is just going to blow by them. And if the guy that's shorter than that is, uh, Jalen Brunson, uh, rookie, who's, uh, not the most fleet of foot, uh, Bledsoe is going to blow by him as well. And, you know, he just kind of had some of those stretches. Uh, they let Giannis out in transition a little bit too much and Giannis had 31 and Sterling Brown was perfect 
from the field, four of four, three of three from the three point line. He's shooting 59%, I believe on corner threes now, <laughs> which is just ridiculous, but he's, he's damn near automatic on those. And yeah, the Bucks win 116-106, and believe it or not, they pulled away with a 35-25 third quarter. Yeah, I thought it was an interesting game of kind of like, you know, there were different phases that kind of went along with kind of some adjustments. Like, you know, the first 90 seconds, Lopez Brock's, what, like three shots off pick and rolls where, um, you know, whether it was Luca or I don't know if it was Brunson or who, who all was, was the attacker, but he also got DeAndre Jordan on a dump off at the rim. Um you know, sort of the, the the first phase of that game was very much Brook Lopez on both ends. He was hitting three, stretching the floor. Um, you know, the Mavs had gone small with their starting lineup, taking out Maxi Kleba um, and putting in Brunson. So basically, it was a all right, we're going to try to stop uh, Eric Bledsoe type move because we don't have a, a point guard right now with Dennis Smith out, or at least we don't have a yeah. point guard sized guy. Um, but the flip side of that was that you had you know Harrison Barnes, and then I think. Dorian Finney-Smith was guarding Giannis at points and they had DeAndre Jordan on Lopez, which didn't work. And I was surprised that the Mavericks went, were kind of went small on Giannis and um, he obviously kind of started to get going. And then they made the decision to put DeAndre on Giannis, which we kind of asked, I think in the, in the discussion, we said like, you know, especially following the Gobert thing, do they put DeAndre on Giannis? Um, and then Giannis didn't really have a hard time like drawing fouls and, kind of getting going on uh, DeAndre either, which was encouraging. And I think yep. offensively though, I mean, Luca really struggled to kind of get his own shot going. And then I think in that, especially in that maybe second quarter, um, he really started seeing that skip pass into the corner and Whew. they missed some of those, but I think they were at nine out of 19 on threes in the first half. It felt like they had a lot of open looks and Luca, you know, he has the triple double. Ironically, the two youngest triple doubles uh, in NBA history, both come against the Bucks. Markel Fultz in the season closer last year and, uh, and Doncic. I'm also curious if they have the third because Lonzo had one against oh, him. And I think Lonzo yeah. had that 20. That's a great so they might have that's a great they might have the three youngest a, triple doubles that, of all time. I'm not that is sure. really funny. Somebody needs to do the research so that we can break out that quirk that in the last year they've given up the three youngest triple doubles in NBA history. I'm, Maybe because I, I know I know Lonzo was twenty because I looked it up and I was like I thought Lonzo had a triple double against him as a teenager as well and it wasn't when he was a teenager it was when he was okay. twenty so it's somewhere in there. Also, other strange uh, statistical quirk from the research I could do in the press box cross-referencing number 77's all-time. Uh, when Ursan fouled Luca or Luca fouled Ursan, I can't remember which one happened, I believe that was the first time a number 77 has ever followed a number 77 in NBA history. Wow. Uh, save your ticket stubs if you were in the Bradley Center or the Pfizer, uh, Pfizer <laughs> Forum over the weekend. But uh, yeah, you witnessed history. Um, <laughs> yeah, I thought, it was a, I thought it was an interesting game. And it, it, it felt a lot like Orlando just in the sense of Bucks play mediocre team, Bucks don't put it the most consistent effort, but you know, put together like two and a half quarters of pretty, you know, Bucks play and just sort of, eh, you know, the other team kind of gets theirs a little bit for like one quarter, <clears throat> and you know, the Bucks are just really good now, so they win those games by ten points, um, and you yeah. know, again, like just taking care of business, grinding out wins. Um, it's a double digit win, I think. What three straight? 10 point wins exactly. And I think all these wins in the current streak have come by double digits. Um, so again, Bucks kind of winning games, um, you know, kind of on their terms. Um, I got a question for you, Frank. Yeah. What do you think the Bucks 
longest winning streak will be this season. Um, obviously, they started the season with seven straight. Uh, since then, they've had two fivers, I think. Uh, they had a fiver around Christmas, start of January, lost to Toronto, won two, lost to Washington, and now have five in a row going. Um, do you think they, they beat that seven-game win streak at any point? I would say for a team that's as good as that, that's playing as well as they are, um, you would probably think that at some point they would have a longer win streak than seven games. Because um, I think if you get to a double-digit one, that's kind of when, you know, I, I don't know if the narrative or whatever like will flip but i do wonder if if they get up to like a 10 game win streak all of a sudden everyone will be like you know what maybe the bucks are the best team in the eastern conference and we don't need to talk about it being the raptors or the bucks or the sixers and the celtics and the raptors and the bucks like maybe it's maybe it's just the bucks like that's the one thing i feel like could flip this season otherwise i think the rest of the year it'll just be like oh you know the bucks are in the mix and you gotta see what they can do yeah i mean Probably the easiest place to start as far as like, you know, is there a part in their schedule where they could win 10 in a row? I mean, the easiest place to start is right now because they've won uh, five in a row, right? Five. And just say, like, well, could you win another five in a row? And you look at the standings or the schedule. You've got the Hornets at home on Friday. Then you've got um, in OKC five o'clock tip on Sunday. Tough. So that's kind of a weird game. That's definitely um, maybe a, a coin flip at best. Um, Thunder have been weird lately. They've lost some bad games. They've won some impressive games. Um, then you go to Detroit, a team that you've, what, they've beaten them three times now, I think, on the season. Pretty, maybe not super convincingly yep. in Detroit the last time, but again, you expect to win that. And then they have to go to Toronto on the 31st. So that would be, if they were to win in Toronto, which I think is going to be difficult, you'd have to... TNT game on Thursday. Yeah, you'd have to wonder, like, you know, I think the obvious question is, you know, what's the relative health of both teams at that point? That's going to be important. Um, But you could, you know, if you can, especially if you can win that Thunder game, conceivable you could have an eight-game winning streak going into Toronto. And then, you know, again, that's a really difficult game there. And then thereafter, you've got at Wizards, at Nets, home to Wizards, at Dallas, home to Magic, and then at Bulls. Um, at Pacers and blah blah blah. So there's a lot of very winnable games in that kind of stretch. Um, you know, only a couple of these games would you look at and say like the Thunder game, the Raptor game in Toronto. I mean, those are the only two that really jump out in this next stretch as being like, you know, you might not be actually favored in those games. Um, so even if they can't win ten in a row or whatever it might be. Um, definitely a chance to continue to really pile up wins and you know i mean again like this it's kind of the new normal for the bucks right now obviously is you just sort of expect to win games and you know the hardest games are games you think are kind of toss-ups right like that toronto game you've already beaten them in toronto once this year you know um oklahoma city like i don't know oklahoma city can turn games into a slog so i think it's gonna be an interesting stylistic matchup but you know do you think that you can't beat the Thunder just because it's on the road? I mean, seems unlikely. No, yeah. like I, I think you can certainly win that, especially if Russ, Russell Westbrook can still be goaded into taking you know thirty shots and hitting <laughs> seven of them or whatever it was. By the way, the craziest thing—I don't know if people saw that he was seven out of thirty the other night. The crazy thing was he hit five out of twelve threes, which is like terrific for him this year. But he yes. hit two out of 18 on twos. How is that even possible? It's crazy. I don't, it's just nuts how he's just been so so inconsistent. Um, and actually, just to kind of hammer on, so 
Um, I mentioned how I like to look at the standings, admire the standings, just kind of stare mm-hmm. at them. Um, with uh, since the Bucks are my favorite team on ESPN, they are highlighted nicely at the top. Um, so just some fun stats: Bucks tied for the best home record in the league with Toronto, twenty-one and four. Um, they have uh, the best conference record in either conference, so they are twenty-two and seven um, in the East. They are eight and one. Uh, in their division, only the Nuggets, who are six and zero in their division, have a better division record. Not that anybody cares about divisions. Against the Western Conference, they are twelve and five. Toronto is fourteen and five, so they've they've been slightly better. But if you look at the records in the West, the West Conference records. So you know everybody always says how the West is so much better than the East, right? Which I think there have been more questions raised about the validity of that. West is certainly much deeper, but the East may have the top, you know, may have, the East may have, you could make a case the East has five of the top six teams in the league. You could make that case. I'd um, probably make it, uh, yeah. Four um, of the top yeah. five, five of the top seven, something like that. Yeah. Um, the Bucks against the West, 12 and five, the best record in the West against West teams Golden State 21 and 10, which is a worse winning percentage than the Bucks. So the Bucks have a better winning percentage against the West than any Western team does, and only Toronto has a better record than they do right now. So anyway, lots of nice, nice stats, nice records. Bucks again, seven, let's see, 739 win percentage right now. Um, if you prefer the project models. Uh, the Bucks, you may recall 538, you know, they they have their projection system, which um, you know, biases, I think this, it has some sort of built-in bias for like how good a team was last year. Maybe it's like the, you know, the over-under, so, something to basically sort of b- bake in, you know, the fact that if you start well this, the, at the start of the season, but you were bad last year, like it's not just going to like assume you're a totally different team. So the Bucks have been having to kind of make up ground in sort of the 538 projections to sort of prove that they're real. Um, they are now projected at 59 and 23, the Raptors and Warriors are projected at 60 and 22. So um, the Bucks basically like have kind of closed the gap to essentially parity with those other teams as far as projected record. Uh, chance of making the finals, 27% versus 43% for Toronto, 75% for Golden State. Chance of winning the finals, 7% versus 13% for Toronto and 61% for the Warriors. Whatever, you could just say these are you know, made up math numbers. That's fine. But interesting, you know, I'm curious what what the models like about Toronto more than the bucks. Well, they were really good last year. That's probably part of it. Um, That would make sense. I don't know. Again, I don't know the entirety of, um, so it's, it's, I think it's a lot of it's based on uh, the the player projections coming into the season. So I'm guessing, the bucks, Mm -hmm. because a lot, you know, although it's kind of funny because it's like, you look at the bucks players and it's like, Oh, who's playing like over their heads? Who's gonna like mean regress? And it's like, well, Bledsoe's definitely playing better, but like he's not shooting that well. Brooke, maybe. Well, but like I mean, you kind of look at it though. Like I always also look at like, like Middleton is not like having some crazy year. We said he's like marginally better per minute, but it's not like he's shooting forty-five percent from three. He's below his three-point shooting numbers. Yeah. Um, Bledsoe, as well as he's playing, he's below his career three-point numbers. Um, Brogdon, you could argue maybe a bit, but I mean, he was like a 40% three point mm-hmm. shooter career wise before. Um, 
Lopez has definitely been better three-point shooting, especially when you factor in like volume and probably, I mean, you can't factor in like the difficulty in, in this per se, but, um, <laughs> but I mean, Brooks probably played better than you'd expect. Um, but like, it's yeah. not like, oh, you have all these guys hitting unsustainable numbers from three. I mean, the Bucks have actually not shot the ball from three that well <laughs> for quite some time. And, but they have what they, I think they have close to, if not the best defense in the league right now. So that helps. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's just kind of interesting to sort of see how, um, how all these things are kind of, you know, kind of rating out because, um, I think understandably we all kind of wonder well, what, what direction is this team kind of headed? Like how real, how real are these numbers? And, um, you know, just winning percentage wise, I mean, since they've won, uh, you know, they, they were at, uh, what, 29 and 12, which was the halfway mark. And now they've won five straight. So, you know, just based on that simplistic sort of view, like, yeah, you're, on pace for 60 wins, 60 wins again, which is just um, a pretty, pretty damn good place to be. So anyway, mm-hmm. we'll keep taking snapshots of those, of those uh, league leading numbers on the standings. And hopefully we'll be able to do that through the rest of the season, but you know, stuff changes. So things in theory, things go up and down, but we've been kind of a, uh, kind of immune to that in Milwaukee to a large extent. Yeah, indeed. Um, All right. That's going to be it for us for today. Uh, We can talk about some other rumors tomorrow and uh, still have time to get you all the way ready for the game on Friday. So we we still have some time to to fill and and do for the rest of the week. So uh, with that, uh, I'm Eric Name. That was Frank Madden. This has been Lockdown Bucks. We will talk to you guys tomorrow.